Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 54 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by two incredible companies in the MMA world. The first is Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu figured out how to make the world's thinnest and safest mouthguard. You can talk with the mouthguard. You can drink with the mouthguard. You can breathe with the mouthguard up in your mouth. It's a game changer. Or should I say, it's a guard changer. (laughs) You can head on over to sisuguard.com. Find the right mouth guard for your sport or activity. We are also brought to you by the only fight gear made out of hemp. I'm talking about Datsusara hemp gear, uh, geese, fight shorts, t-shirts, all made from hemp, more durable than your average fight gear, and also antimicrobial. You can check them out at dsgear.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE for a nice little discount. Sisu and Datsusara bring you Top Turtle MMA Podcast. are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. We, of course, are available there. Also, tune in Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, wherever a podcast is being streamed. We appreciate you finding us and bringing us into your lives. Gumby, one of the things I love about our podcast is we try not to waste any time. We not, try not to be overly sarcastic, although I'm a culprit of it sometimes. <laughs> but we don't like to show off our MMA knowledge like some other MMA podcasts, and we also like to try to stick to just MMA. We don't go on and on about our day or our hair. It's just about MMA. So what do you say we get right into it and talk about Yair Rodriguez lighting up the legend BJ Penn like a Christmas tree, to quote John Anik, who I think is now the lead play-by-play for the uh, UFC. Yeah, I I think he is, too. Uh, Although, did you hear, uh, I I will just just move off topic for just a moment did you hear ufc 208 will have three announcers on it i love it because i like dc uh and his exuberance he's going to be the third man in the booth yeah, with yeah and, and rogan and I, I think too the the beauty about him too is uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how it was kind of sad to see mike goldberg go because he was such a, a fighter's announcer and I think DC brought that this weekend. It's, it's very he, positive. He was very positive. He loves the fighters. And, and you know from experience, he knows what they go through. By the way, did you see Mike Goldberg in the crowd? I did see Mike Goldberg. <laughs> that in the man's crowd. awesome. I've gained more and more respect for him since he left. I, I can't remember what the... Oh, God, I wish I could give credit to the actual Twitter account that posted this. But they posted a picture in the, of him in the crowd. And they said, is that Mike Goldberg? Or is it somebody who's virtually identical? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Because I know that Goldberg and BJ are friends, and apparently the rumor going around is that uh, BJ wanted to walk out with Goldberg, and the UFC oh, God, said no. that would have been so legendary. <laughs> Joe Rogan also addressed it on Fight Companion podcast. He said that him and Goldberg are going to be friends till the end, but William Morris has a different vision for yeah. a play-by-play and, and that's what we've been saying all along. Business is business. Hey, let's talk about the task at hand, yeah. Gumby. Yair Rodriguez. Wow. Yeah. Ah, uh, geez. Um, I will say this. So, my first reaction at the end of that was obviously Penn was like a fish out of water he doesn't still belong in the cage not at this age you know even it seemed like if he had fought somebody lower down the chain than Yair Rodriguez the speed just wasn't there right was that the thing that you noticed most about Penn I had a couple of takeaways from it I don't know actually I mean first of all BJ Penn's toughness is still top of the I mean that'll never go away. that'll never go away I mean his toughness is is just out of this world legendary could he fight 
someone ranked, uh, you know, outside the top 10 and be competitive. Yeah, I think he could. I, I don't need to see it. I, I, I hope for it. his own sake he doesn't, you know, come back. My big takeaway was, you know, it was score one for the young guys and a little depressing if you're like me and in your 30s. Uh, the, he just couldn't compete with that speed. Yeah. I mean, youth youth is always going to win. Well, and maybe that's why he looks so slow to me, too. Uh, I will say his boxing... In overall game planning looked way better than last time. Yes. So that's what I wanted to say. So let's also take this from this standpoint, too. And uh, other people have commented on this. Um, but there is an evolution thing here at play, too. You know, BJ Penn was really like one of the better strikers of his generation for MMA striking. Yeah. His boxing was always very crisp. Uh, but the game has been lit on fire. Yeah, I well, mean, it, what Yair brings is this is some next world video game evolution shit. Yeah, well, and, and, and I think that's it, too, is that when BJ left the game, you know, I mean, he hasn't hasn't won in six years. So let, let's right. go back to his last win, 2010. Yes. Since 2010, think about all that's changed. Think about how, you know, there, there are more capoeira kicks in the UFC. There are more, you know. People trying to use the fence in unique ways. There are, you know, more jumping finishes. How many hey. how many flying knees have, attacks have we seen that have ended a fight hey. since BJ left? Hey, hey, mister, I'm going to cite one Dan Severn on our podcast <laughs> who said the future of fighting would be kicks off the fence. No, he punch. said flying submissions off yes. the fence. Yeah. <laughs> he said a lot of flying stuff off the fence. And I thought to myself, Dan, you're crazy. And then I thought to myself, Dan, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure he's right, but... The game has definitely changed in a way where, like, I mean, just look at the the re-rise of point fight karate as a, a discipline that helps MMA. Wonder Boy, what Connor does to set up his kicks just to gauge distance. Yeah, I yeah. mean. I, I mean, there are so many people using that kind of shit now, so, and that's since BJ left. I mean, the game just passed him by, in my opinion, and could he have come back and trained and picked all that up? I'm not sure. He's been so long without needing to evolve. All right. So you said you're good with not ever seeing BJ Penn again. I, I don't Let the legend retire. Now let's talk about the more exciting part of this. What do you do with Yair Rodriguez next? Before I kick it to you, I just want to bring up, I am so against prospect versus prospect and killing off a prospect when one isn't ready. Um, but I do have to say, I am in for all the violence that would come Duhu from Duhu Choi yeah, versus Yair say, Rodriguez. I knew you were going to say Duhu Choi. I have an opinion of somebody who is maybe um, a little bit more on Yair's level right now because Choi coming off the loss almost seems like a little bit of a weird matchup. How about either Yair versus Cub Swanson or Yair versus Jeremy Stevens? I mean, like, both of those matchups, to me, have that same level of violence that you're looking for. They don't kill off a prospect, and they're a logical step forward for Yair, right? Because right now, Duhu Choi is probably a, a tiny, tiny step behind where Yair is. I mean, he's not a step behind BJ. He'd still be climbing a ladder, but he probably deserves somebody better than that. The other thing I couldn't stop thinking of when I was watching him throw those kicks and that violence is one day, and I'm not talking next, I'm not talking even this year maybe, one day I would kill to see Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. <laughs> it's That's just got a brilliant might, fight written all over it. I mean, hey, it, it might happen, and I'll tell you something right now. Um, just from a marketing perspective, they obviously know what they have in Yair. They had him headline the event for a reason. 
But you know, you two talk, headlinings in a row too. That shouldn't it? That should be mentioned. And you talk about what Connor brings to the table, and I get that Irish fans are very loyal and everything else. But Ireland is, uh, you know, a, an island of about six million people. Uh, Yair is a dual-speaking, Spanish-speaking, English-speaking Mexican that represents a hundred and however you know, hundred fifteen million people. Yeah, I think Mexico and, has, and the the <laughs> ability to do the post-fight speech in both, in both English and, and this is what they wanted and, in Cannes. Yeah, it, it was so so good, and and he just nailed what he could. He brings to the table. He nailed what WME needs as an international superstar. They certainly have a budding superstar on their hands. All right, Gumby, real quick, looking at the rest of the card, what were some impressive finishes? What were some impressive performances? What did you think of some of the other fights? I mean, the the first one that sticks out to me is Alexi Olenek. Uh, I mean... The arm triangle from the bottom? Uh, it's an Ezekiel choke from the bottom. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah the Ezekiel. Ezekiel choke. First ever Ezekiel choke in the UFC history. And the crazy part was it was from a bottom mount. I mean, like, so for people who aren't familiar with that move, that's very typical in gi jiu-jitsu, very uncommon in no gi jiu-jitsu. And even if it is common in no gi jiu-jitsu, when it happens, it's top mount. I, I would also say, I know what you're saying. I would say it's actually still uncommon in no gi jiu-jitsu past, you know, blue belt level. Yeah, I, I would say once you've, like, learned it and know how to stop it. I yeah, mean, like, it's a pretty people... easy stop. You reach your hand up, you touch your ear. Yeah. And, and as long as your your hand is inside of his elbow, you're not going to sleep. Like I was going to say, like, EBI, ADCC. You you're ain't going to see many Ezekiel chokes. Not win no by gi. Ezekiel choke. Not no gi. Um, so that one stuck out to me as just a crazy, crazy, crazy finish. Um, if we're talking crazy finishes, I mean, Walt Harris is like five hit combo on Chase Sherman. Walt looked good. Yeah. And you know what? It's crazy, too. That dude has had such a bad time at heavyweight in the UFC. I mean, he's like, I want to say he's like two and four or two and five. Uh, but he went like 0 and three, got a second chance, went like 0 and two in the second chance. And this was his like third fight. He might have another win in there. I might be cutting him short, but. His in UFC record is not good. Yeah, and so he his, looked phenomenal. He looked like a fucking world beater in there. His first stint, he went zero and two, lost to the Boar Show, Jared Rochelle and Nikita Krylov. No real shame in either of those. Well, Krylov at heavyweight, he probably shouldn't be losing to. Uh, oh yeah, good, Krylov's a light heavyweight. Good point. Uh, and he lost, if I'm not mistaken, in like thirteen seconds or uh, twenty five. Twenty five. Okay. Yeah, that's and close. Now he's two and two in his most recent run. Yeah. Oh, so he's two and two. So okay, but that means going into that fight. He was one in four in UFC history. Yes. I mean, that's a huge win for him to keep his credibility. And it's a huge win for him because he looks so damn good. Um, so those two stuck out for me. Uh, the the two final fights on the before the main event. Yeah, ben Joe Saunders, Lozon beat Marcin Held. Yeah, which I, I just thought, I mean, even Joe thought was a bad call. And, and to be honest with you, I was rooting for Ben Saunders, friend of the show. Uh, I love his, his so rubber guard. So to be clear, Joe Lozon won by split decision. Yeah, two judges had two rounds to one Lo for him. Lozon disagreed with the call, and Ben Saunders won by majority decision over Court McGee. Yeah, and, and for, you know, like I said, I was rooting for, for Ben Saunders to beat Court McGee because I love his, his jiu-jitsu. I love his rubber guard game. But but when I scored that fight in my head, I had him losing uh, two rounds to one. I, I think maybe the judges counted those body kicks in maybe a little bit more heavily than I did. Um, but just like a crazy night at the judges, crazy night for finishes. Yeah. Um, all right, Gumby. So I've been so excited to talk to you about this in the past week. For the first time, we are together since the announcement. It's finally official. Oh. A match that has been, you know, they dun, actually, dun, dun. I forgot that they tried to make this in December of 
15 as well, because I knew they tried to make it in April of 16. Third time's a charm. Ferguson versus Habib, March 4th, UFC 209. How pumped are you? I'm cautiously pumped. Injuries happen. Yeah. So cautiously pumped. With Habib? No. Yeah. With an AKA guy? Nah. Nah, son. Um, Although Ferguson was the the last pullout. That that is true. He was the last one. Although, no, it was... Yeah, it was Ferguson. Oh, uh, it was Ferguson last time. You're right. Shit. Um, no, so, I mean, I'm really excited for the fight. I think it's it's just like one of those beautiful styles clash. You know, Habib has got such good wrestling, such good sambo. And then you got Tony, who's boxing the shit out of people right now in his jiu-jitsu slick. So, I mean, you just got a really weird mash of styles, and, and it's about time the fight happens. And it's nine wins versus, I think, eight wins for Habib. I just, I can't, we would have to go through the annals of history the annals of history and find when have two uh you know top contenders not fighting for the belt been on an eight well, fight and a fighting n- for the belt well, <laughs> but you know what i'm trying to say yeah. an eight fight and a nine fight win streak what like this yeah. is insane and uh i will say you know with the interim titles the ufc they have their market research that says the interim titles they sell it helps the event the day of for ticket sales for pay-per-view buys now there's already a title fight on that card with Woodley versus Wonderboy. But I do have to say, I think a side story to all of this is, you know, Connor, obviously his girlfriend's pregnant. You have Dana White now publicly negotiating with Floyd Mayweather for the boxing uh, match. Credible reports from uh, everyone's favorite MMA reporter, Ariel Hawani, that it is in the early stages. So you know what? I don't even I don't really mind that this is for an interim title. If Connor if we're going to have a repeat of 2016 where Connor didn't defend his featherweight title or wasn't able to till, you know, a year after winning it, if it's going to be the same thing with the lightweight title, then yeah, by all means, throw an interim title on this. Yeah, what do it, I care? You, you know what? Uh, I I was very against interim titles for anybody who was not out of the game for like a really long time. Uh, up until this past week when one of my buddies said to me, what if we just treated it like the old UFC interim titles and they were number one contenders fights that Dana couldn't back out of? I you agree know, with that. It's it, like it, the I... first time that Dana's being forced to hold his word. He... Because if you go back in the day, they said this is the number one contenders fight. Whoever fucking won that fight fought the champ in three months. And then, yeah, in the past three years, they have scumbagged so many fighters who have won number one. I mean, we'd have so to go many. through. We can make an article out of this. Yeah, absolutely. This is like a of, production of, meeting live on air here. Of people who got screwed out of title shots after saying they won a number yes. one fight. So this, to me, it, uh, you know, while it sucks to be like, yeah, I mean, Max Holloway's a champ right now, having not beat Aldo or Connor. At the same time, he's going to get his actual title shot eventually. And for me, that's worth having to deal with a couple of non-champions it, it almost being called makes, champions. Yeah, it almost puts a it almost makes the booking have to match a, you know, almost like a law of the land so they cannot scumbag a number 1 contender. Um all right, so I want to go through a couple of other little quick notes Gumby. Uh your girl Angela Hill is coming back after a side uh stint uh in Invicta and she's going to be fighting Jessica Andrade uh, next month. Uh, what do you think of Overkill Hill coming back here? That's a tough first matchup, but I will say that girl definitely deserves to be in the UFC. So much athleticism. I think it was a great choice of her to go to Invicta, get her mind straight, fight a couple, you know, I- I'm not going to say easier fights, 
But the people she fought in the UFC were fucking killers. So to give her a couple of fights where she she had a little bit better of a chance, she got to win a title in Invicta, which is something you can never take away from her. It's time to bring her back. There's a bunch of talent right now in Invicta who I feel the same way about. Good to see her back. Well, I was going to say, if you saw Invicta 21 this past weekend, Megan Anderson, friend of the show, uh, just put a hurt clinic on Charmaine tweet, beat her uh, via TKO, and then called out potential future champs Holly Holm or Jermaine Durand to me at 145. What did you think of her uh, performance? I think her performance on the mic was even better than her performance uh-huh. in the cage. Because we talk so often about fighters who blow their chance on the mic. Telling Dana to to tell Holly or, or Jermaine to keep her belt warm because she's fucking coming was brilliant. It was so well thought out. I don't know if she thought it out ahead of time or if she's just a genius on the mic. But that was perfect. And I think you got a star in the making there, too, because she's a hell of a boxer. She's got good wrestling defense, and, and she's awesome on the mic. I mean, that, that's a star, all the, the qualities you need in a star. Another big news item coming out is that uh, we do have the next bantamweight uh, contender, and it's going to be TJ Dillashaw, which is who I wanted it to be. I thought that was the fairest thing. Him <laughs> and Cody Garbrandt are going to coach on the Ultimate Fighter, the comeback season. Uh, so I think this would put the fight. I know they. I don't know if they confirm this, but it Summertime. usually well. And International Fight Week is usually when the Ultimate Fighter Typically, coaches yeah. would fight. So that would be like August, no, July Jul- or August, no, July Fourth weekend. July Fourth. Oh, is it yeah. July Fourth weekend? So, yeah. So July. The, I mean, that's that's good timing. Uh, Cody said he had too busy of a 2016 anyway. He needed to take fought a break. four times. I mean, he fought four times and against killers. I mean, the, the, there's no doubt he deserved the time off. I'm pumped for the season of the Ultimate Fighter. I mean. There's been rumored lists out there back and forth. Uh, I, I mean, I did see on there that, that they guaranteed there would be one at least active UFC fighter. I heard that was Zach Cummins, um, who I think would demolish most of the people on the show, actually. Uh, so it's interesting to see that people would be willing to go into the Ultimate Fighter house to get like a little bit more cred. I do think there is something there if a non-ranked fighter uh, were to go into the the house. You know, I think that's something people have kind of talked about for many years, and it's an interesting way for someone to move up the ranks. We'll see. I'm going to reserve judgment until I actually see this published cast list. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like Junie Browning, if that's true. God, I I hope that's not true. Although, you know, people are giving him a lot of shit. I, I think that one deserves a lot of shit. But people are also giving Julian Lane a lot of shit, too. You remember Let Me Bang Bro? Was he, Yeah, he had like a mohawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let Me Bang Bro. People have given him a lot of shit. He was the CES champ uh, like a um, year ago or yeah, so. I went and watched him defend his title. I'm f- I mean, he lost. I'm fine with that. But if, he's a good, he's yeah, a good fighter it, it, You know, to me, a comeback season of The Ultimate Fighter is for guys who fell out of the UFC but have done their, their, um, their due diligence, diligence on, yeah, in independent promotions. I, I haven't like looked Like get up. Gerald Harris the fuck in there because that dude's slamming people out in Legacy. There you go. <laughs> All right, so we will transition now. We had a uh, chance to catch up with the brother of, you know, in my opinion, it's Faraz Zahabi or Greg Jackson. And, uh, or Coach Edmund are the top three. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but Faraz Ahabi and, and Greg Jackson typically regarded as some of the top coaches in all of MMA. And Faraz Ahabi's brother it will be making his UFC debut next month, Eamon Zahabi. We got a chance to catch up with him, and we're so excited to play this interview uh, with Eamon right now. It, of course, is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara makes fight gear entirely out of hemp antimicrobial, super durable. Both Gumby and I have their fight shorts. We cannot recommend them enough. If you are a grappler, MMA fighter, check these bad boys out. They're going to become your favorite shorts. 
I promise you. Um, head on over to dsgear.com and enter in promo code top turtle, not case sensitive, because that's how we roll, pun intended. Uh, Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with now UFC fighter Eamon Zahabi. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking to Eamon Zahabi, younger brother of Fira Zahabi, who fights Heginaldo Vieira at UFN Halifax on February 19th. Uh, let's kick right into it, Eamon. Uh, your big brother is you know, one of the more famous coaches in all of MMA. Uh, what was it like working, or what is it currently like working with a brother who has so much background in the sport? Uh, and is there like daily sibling fights about game planning and stuff like that? No, no, we're usually on the same page about game planning. You know, I've been, he's been teaching me how to be a coach for years. So he's the one who taught me how to study tape and study opponents and what to look for as their weaknesses or strengths and, and how to plan and help our fighters to get ready for a fight. So, you know, when it comes to game planning, usually we're on the same page. We know how to read fights very similarly. And uh, what's great about having him as my brother is I get to put extra time in uh, for a much cheaper price. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, I get a couple of extra hours with him. I pick his brain. I call him. Or if I email him. I text him something. You know, he gets back to me really soon, and I really appreciate it. Well, that is absolutely invaluable. We obviously, and we've said it on the show so many times, you know, for us, it's, it's Greg Jackson and, and your brother for us, a hobby, uh, you know, one and two, however you want to call it, the two best minds in the sport of MMA. Um, with him being six, seven years older than you, how much of an influence, uh, was he on you getting started in MMA? Was he sort of the inspiration to get into MMA? Did you guys find it at the same time? How did you get your start in, uh, in the world of fighting? Well, uh, growing up, my dad always uh, pushed my brothers. Like, uh, we're four brothers, and my dad put my oldest brothers in karate when they were young, and they always pushed us to learn self-defense just to protect us, you know, like mm-hmm. from bullies or getting picked on, you know, just so that we can have some confidence. And when I was, like, uh, 13, 14, uh, my dad wanted me to start doing martial arts, and Frost was going to TriStar, so my dad asked him if he would take me, and my brother said, yeah, of course. So then he started bringing me to the gym, and I started off with Muay Thai first. And then uh, from that, I moved on to uh, MMA. Okay, so that's something I don't think I was ever aware of. So TriStar was a gym uh, long ago before Faraz ever came on board, and then he ended up running it himself? Yeah, well, TriStar opened in uh, 1991 with Conrad, Pla and two other owners. That's why it was called TriStar. And then uh, he sold it to uh, somebody else, and then uh, Faraz was working there. Like Faraz had a lot of the students, and Faraz thought it would be a good idea to partner up, you know? So he bought part part of the the TriStar. Like I think they split it like uh, four ways, and then slowly, slowly, Frost kept buying out the partners until now he's the sole owner. Wow, awesome! And so, what's the best part of training a TriStar for you? Oh, it's like home. I actually live downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> that is home. <laughs> so uh, there's a TriStar dorms on the other side of the building, but me, I have my own apartment uh, right under TriStar. I've been living in the building for like I don't know uh, five six years now. So I was living my first uh, three and a half years at the dorms, and now I have my own apartment under TriStar, and it's you know it's it's part of my life. I go to, I just I'm going to TriStar is part of my daily routine. I couldn't I couldn't imagine going through a day without training, you know. So uh, it's just like my house. I go there every day. I spend six seven hours there a day. 
That's awesome. And I know TriStar has a very good working relationship with Henzo Gracie Academy in New York City. Uh, you know, GSP yeah. famously always talks about taking the however long it is, 18-hour bus ride down to New York City to train there. He still does on occasion. I've seen photos on social media of you down there. How often do you cross-train at Henzo's? I try, I try to go as often as possible, you know, once every couple of months for sure. And uh, right now we have um, two of our guys, Oliver Taza and Ethan Covenstein, and uh, they're really into jiu-jitsu, and they go, they spend like two, three weeks there at a time. And so since they've been going, they're bringing back the stuff. So I haven't been going as often now. I've been focusing more on my striking here in Montreal, training for us for striking. And they're bringing me back the stuff that they're learning from uh, the Danahar Death Squad and John Danahar. And, and so I haven't been back. I'm trying to go this week. I'm waiting to see if uh, things clear up for me here at TriStar, and I can go spend a few days there. Definitely going to go spend a few days there and pick John's mind on how I should... Uh, handle the ground game against Reginaldo Vieira. You know, it looks like he's got 10 submissions or 9 submissions or something like that on his record. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking to pick uh, John's mind and see what I can do to avoid getting subbed by him and having control of him on the ground. I, I, I'm literally getting excited as you talk here because when you said he's bringing back the stuff, I assumed you were talking about the incredible uh, leg lock attack game and, and just the jiu-jitsu mind that is John Danaher, and that's awesome that you have him at your disposal as well. So I guess if we see a heel hook attempt or a rolling him in Ari roll, uh, we know that you picked that up from some cross-training at the Danaher Death Squad with the Danaher yeah, Death Squad. Yeah, the Denner Death Squad is men, they're beyond leg locks now. <laughs> they're working on a few different things that they guys are going to be surprised in 2017. I think they're going to redo what they did this year. They're going to take over the whole year next year. Well, yeah, I, we've been very impressed recently in EBI. Their uh, their back attack system as well is quite impressive. And it's something I wanted, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you this as well, which is we saw that Mickey Gall is now training up at TriStar. He's won all three of his UF fights, uh, all three of his UFC fights, excuse me, via rear naked choke. Have you had a chance to work with him at all? Because what we've seen out of Mickey Gall has been very impressive. Mickey Ball, yeah, he's got a great head on his shoulders. He's, uh, he's very disciplined. He loves training. When he his time he spent here, he didn't miss one practice. He always showed up on time, and you know he was he was ready to work hard. And I didn't get to roll with him in jiu-jitsu wise because uh, we're a bit different in size. But we did a lot of striking sparring because I I can imitate like that karate style a little bit. You know, side kicks mm-hmm. and blitzing and all kinds of stuff that you know he was expecting Sage to do. So um, I did a lot of that with him. But uh, I didn't get to do much ground with him, but I watched him on the ground. Man, he's good. He's very, very good. Yeah, very, and, uh, very I'm excited that I'm excited that he comes and trains here with us, and I'm happy that he, you know, he won his last fight. He's a great kid. Yeah, so many uh, great and talented fighters have come through uh, TriStar, uh, whether it be just visiting or you have guys obviously like Rory McDonald there, and then, of course, you have GSP. Uh, and I always just wanted to ask you, has he has GSP given you any advice as you're starting out your UFC career? And if so, what, what did he advise you? Yeah, of course, man. Me and GSP are close. I know him since I was 15, and... I see him all the time. We train together a couple times a week, every week. And uh, actually, I just told him on Friday we did the sparring. I'm like, take me down as many times as possible, <laughs> so I can get ready for uh, for Vieira. Because I know Vieira is going to probably be trying to shoot, so I'm going to get ready for that. And uh, but yeah, he's like a mentor of mine. You know, he tells me how to handle, um, you know, uh, myself in public, how to talk to people, how to make sure that you know I, uh, what I choose for fights and how to handle my career and make sure I'm on the right path, not to rush anything. You know, I mean, I'm a very patient guy and. And George is making sure that, you know, I, I get what's coming to me. 
Absolutely. And no, and no better person to learn the game of, you know, not only the fight game, but just handling yourself outside for media responsibilities and everything else. Uh, GSP, obviously yeah, exactly. one of the best. Uh, now, you started yeah. your career with three submission wins and then followed it up with three TKO wins. Was this just a natural progression of the game for you? Were you focusing earlier on on more groundwork and your striking came along a little later? Or was that just by chance and what you saw in those particular fights? It's just interesting that you went three and three sub to, to KOs. Well, um, I've always been working on my striking. Striking is really like my first love. You know, like I started off with Muay Thai, like I said earlier, and um I was always really passionate about it. And then right when I was making my transition to going pro, I started really getting into grappling. So a lot of my training was mostly focused around jiu-jitsu just so I can catch up and make sure that I have a really rounded uh, ground game, you know? So like in those first three fights, most of my training practices, I would say, were jiu-jitsu, less so much striking. So like my mental my mentality, my openings that I was seeing in striking weren't as quick, as fresh as I would see a grappling exchange go. So then, like, after those three fights, I ended up doing pads. I went to Thailand for five weeks. And when I came back, I started hitting pads every single day, five days a week with Conrad Pla for a whole year. And then those, that year that I was doing pads every single day, like, I could just see the striking sequences fly and I could see the openings and I was really able to take advantage of them and drop guys with strikes and finish them on the ground, you know? So I think that's, like, whatever I trained more came out in the, in the fight that, I, you know, whatever I was training more at the time came out in the fight. Wow, and that certainly makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, you, you, yeah. you mentioned a couple of times that Vera is a ground guy. You're expecting him to be tricky on the ground. You're looking to pick grapplers' brains about what you can do on the ground. Is uh, is this a fight that you expect that you're going to try to keep on the feet and, and hit those striking sequences that they talk about? And obviously you don't want to give away too much of your game plan, but is this something you see striking advantage as a hobby on the feet? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to have the striking advantage, you know, like uh... – I've seen him striking. He really likes to throw the big right hand to left hook and clinch the guy or shoot a double leg off his strikes and really get the fight to the ground. Or if a guy ducks too low, he jumps that guillotine. So I'm looking to dance around him a little bit, you know, play with the jab, mix in the one-twos, try to figure out when he's going to shoot, what kind of big punch he's going to throw. I don't want to get hit with anything wild. But uh, I'm not afraid to take him down. You know, like I've been really working a lot with uh, the Dan and her death squad and my, my boys, Ethan Clemson and uh, Oliver Taza and, but those guys, they gave me a lot of confidence in my jiu-jitsu. They're tearing it up in their jiu-jitsu. So I'm confident, even if I decide to shoot a single or a double and take him down and maybe get him a heel hook or maybe take his back. Wow. Well, uh, you certainly speak like a certain coach that I know, um, and I think you know him as well. Uh, <laughs> very well spoken when it comes to the fight game. Uh, Eamon Zahabi fights Reginaldo Vieira at UF uh, Ultimate Fight Night Halifax on February 19th. Eamon, we, uh, we can't thank you enough for uh, catching up with us here, and we wish you the best of luck in the fight. It's my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. All right, there you have it, Gumby, the brother of Faraz Zahabi, the legendary coach, GSP's coach, Eamon Zahabi, 6-0 and as a pro and now making his UFC debut. Yeah, and when he was talking to me, I was just thinking in my head, how many times have UFC or MMA journalists thought to themselves, if you could build the perfect MMA fighter, what would you want? And you would say, you know, GSP's grappling, this and that. And, you know, you'd make your whole list of things. I feel like he was telling us that through his training partners. <laughs> I mean, he was like, I do my wrestling with GSP. I do my submission game with John Donaher. Yeah, I get my, my IQ from my brother. And I was just like, 
Damn. And then I saw on Twitter this week he was training with Brian Hall, leg locks. Ah, that's awesome. I mean, Brian Hall and John Donaher in like one month's time. Hey, if you're a degenerate gambler, find the prop right now. (laughs) Eamon's a hobby via heel hook and bet the kids' college fund on it. Uh, uh, One other thing I like about it, too, just when you're looking at the record, first three wins via submissions. Or no, sorry. First win was... Yeah, okay, I got thrown off. He has two submission wins, an ankle lock and a rear naked choke. He has a submission win, technically a third submission win, by punches. punches which is, so, is a TKO. It's a TKO, right. And then he has his past three have been TKOs, so uh, very exciting prospect to watch out for. One thing I forgot to mention in our new segment, Gumby, that I want to get your opinion on, Rashad Evans uh, said that Black Zillions has pretty much disbanded. Yeah, Henry Hooft went on uh, Twitter today and announced that he'll be starting his own gym, so it seems like the Ultimate Fighter Black Zillions versus ATT season has a winner. <laughs> yeah, has has a forever winner, and it's ATT. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I've been hearing rumors of this for like weeks, weeks on end, uh, where where people have said that you know the who is I don't remember the name of the guy who funded the whole thing. He's uh, not even like a coach. He's just yeah. Like funds Dan Lambert funds all of ATT. I can't it's remember the other the, guy. The, the, other the, guy, the, the right? kind of chubby bald dude from yeah. from the Ultimate Fighter. I don't even remember his name. It wasn't that important. So. He like had a, like a power tool empire or something, and that's how he got his money. Uh, so he broke off and, and started Black Zillions. I heard that he like didn't have the money to bankroll it anymore. It Glenn Robinson. Glenn Robinson. Thank you. Um, not to be confused with the Charlotte Hornet. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I heard he didn't have the money to to fund it anymore. It was going under. There were rumors of that back and forth. You know, Stefan Struve was asked a question about training at Black Zillions, and he was kind of vague about it. It just seemed like like bad news altogether. Uh, you know, sad to see a team go under, but it always seemed like a team that was kind of hastily thrown together. I was thinking when Nina Ansaroff won last night, um, she, uh, you know, she of course represents ATT, and I was like, there you go, ATT kicking off the year right again. That that team is just. I think there were three wins last night by ATT too, because Walt Harris with his knockout was ATT, right, and. I swear there was another one. I'd have to look at the, the results. I mean, they won uh, last year. I think they had the most wins of any fight Yeah, team, right? and if you use uh, Jeff Fox, uh, owner of MMAManifesto.com, uh, he did a fight camp rankings and ATT won last year. Boom. Well, RIP Black Zillions. You always had a cool name. Uh, we'll keep monitoring that situation. And if they are, in fact, fully disbanded to see where some of those fighters sprinkle out to and what camps they go to. It's a side story for hardcore MMA nerds, but I'm always interested to see where fighters go uh, for their fight camps. And Bet you they, they all go to Edmund. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's stop making Edmund the function bag. <laughs> They're too easy, though. You're doing beautiful, coach. All right. Here we go. So, so I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This was Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the download button. Like us. Leave a comment on our podcast page, wherever it is you listen to it. We so appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>